Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God be praised. To God's servant, Pastor Tracy E. Ventus, who has loaned him to me as my son. It's nice of you to say what you have said, but I want all of you to know who I know I am. I'm a dust ball. I'm a graveyard traveler. That's what I am. And whatever God has done in my life and ministry, it has been because of his glory. And I'm saying that because it's true with you. None of us have anything, has anything to boast about. We don't even own the next breath. That's why the psalmist says, if you can do this, just do this, see if you can feel anything. If you can't feel anything, you don't belong here. All Jordan needs to come get you. But since you can do this and you don't know when you'll be able to do it again, let everything that has breath. What are you saving it for? Well, this is um, a special place. I can't stay here long talking about people because I'll, um, I'll get messed up. But I love New Mission. I've had a 49-year relationship with New Mission. Started in 1968. My God. So thank you, Pastor Venice, for this signal honor of uh, being uh, asked to come. I told you, and I still believe it, but since you are my son and yet my pastor, I told you that this was your Sunday. Every pastor should preach on Easter. And of course, he said to me, he overrode my objection. <laughs> when you preach, it's like I'm preaching. So, I'm here. I'm obeying you today. <laughs> Very happy that my wife is here, my beautiful wife. And I do not know a more godly person than my wife. I just don't. And I know what I'm talking about. I want her to stand. I want you to get a chance to see that she's not hard on the optic nerve. Stand up, baby. She isn't. Look at that. The 19th chapter of John, John chapter 19, I want to read verses 25 to 27. We are accustomed to saying to each other at Christmas, Merry Christmas. I want to preach today about 
Merry Easter. Merry Easter. Hear these words from John 19, 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. You may be seated. Two of the greatest days in the Christian calendar are Christmas and Resurrection Sunday or Christmas and Easter. Those two days are significant because the wood of the manger of the birth of Jesus is the same as the wood of the cross of the crucifixion of Jesus. Same wood. And yet, the truth of the matter is, if there was no resurrection, then the birth of Christ and the death of Christ would have symbolized the most wasted use of wealth in Christian history. Heaven would have suffered bankruptcy in vain because had Jesus not rose from the dead, then the birth of Christ and the death of Christ would have meant nothing. In fact, Paul goes on to spend an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, to talk about the significance of the resurrection. Had Jesus not rose from the dead, brothers and sisters, then the message that we have been conveying would have been the greatest hoax, the greatest falsehood in Christianity. We say he got up. Had he not got up from the grave in all of these songs we've been singing, the blood steel works would not meant, have meant a thing. But because he rose from the dead, we can sing with great confidence and joy. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men and women may say. I see his hands of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how? I know he lives. He lives within my heart. The resurrection is not some kind of historical fact that was just true 2,000 years ago. It's an ongoing reality that continues to influence and inform our lives so that we walk and live resurrected lives today. 
so that we can say God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He came to die just to buy my pardon. An empty grave, and I've seen it many times in Jerusalem, is there because my Savior lives. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. All fear is gone. Because I know I can hear Mother Johnson saying right now, you got to know that you know, that you know, that you know, because I know he holds the future. Life is worth living because he lives. I just think that we ought to have some certainty about the reality of the resurrection that affects our lives today. That's why John Willis could stand up and preach his first sermon from Job 19, 25 to 27. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the latter day, he shall stand upon the earth and after the skin worms have devoured my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall not behold another. You got to know. That's why you ought to be able to say like that blind man in John 9, 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But this one thing, I know I used to be blind. But now I see. You've got to know so that you can say what Paul says in Romans 8 and 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. you got to know so that you can say what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 12. I know whom I have believed. And I know he's able to keep that which I've committed under him against that day. We have too many Christians walking around here talking about perhaps, maybe, possibly, should be, could be. You can't be iffy about Jesus. You got to be able to say, I know. The resurrection is not just some past events that dwells in the fog of mysticism and strangeness, but it is a real living reality that produces resurrection in your life so that you rise up from sin and rise up from defeat and rise up from depression and you walk in the newness of life. Karl Barth, one of the great Swiss German theologians has said that the two greatest days in all of Christianity are the two comings. The first coming of Christ, Advent, Christmas. The second coming of Christ, when he shall return. Well, that's true. But without the resurrection, there would not have been, there will not be a second coming. And without the resurrection, the first coming was all in vain. And so we are right now standing on the very foundation upon which Christianity either stands or falls. If Christianity is not real, then we are fanning ourselves and sitting in a church without an air conditioning and singing and shouting for nothing. Because Christianity is the only religion in which you can go to the tomb of its founder and the founder is not there. 
go-to, if you will, Islam. Muhammad the prophet is there. Go to Buddhism, Buddha is there. Go to Confucianism, Confucius is there. Go to any other religion, that person is there, but Jesus has vacated the two. And you know what he did? It wasn't a jailbreak. It wasn't somebody that was stealing his body. He got up, took his time, took off his grave clothes, folded them up, took off the napkin from his face, folded them up, and laid them there because he knew Robert Smith was going to need him one day. He knew Tommy Baird was going to need him one day. So he left them there for us, Tom. But they will not be on us long because one of these days when he shall call us, we'll trade in grave clothes for a long white robe that's waiting for me in the new Jerusalem. I'm not going to keep you long. You know that's subjective for a preacher. So when I say I'm going to take my seat, I might say that eight times. Don't get excited. That's just the way it is. When I tell you I'm coming to a close, that means I'm coming to a close, but I'm not closing yet. If y'all don't know me by now, you know that's true. I think that we are too scarce in talking about Christmas and Easter. Once a year, we'll talk about Christmas. And once a year, we'll probably talk about Easter in a full sermon. And of course, when we get ready to close, we'll say he died on Friday. Stayed in the grave on Saturday. But early one Sunday morning, he got up. But aside from that, we don't spend much time talking about these two significant days. I think it would be wonderful sometimes, uh, Sister Terry and Sister Lynetta, for you to, and this is just a suggestion, it's a holy hint. On Christmas, sing, at last and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that strength, that, that sacred head for such a worm as I at the cross? People look around and wonder, that's supposed to be just for Easter. Sing the song at Christmas time. Talk about the fact, I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. But at Easter time, sing joy to the world. The Lord, why don't you get on that thing and distract it of it? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature say, heaven and nature say, heaven and heaven and nature. Come on, let's just sing. I, I, this is something we ought to sing all the time. The world, let us proceed. Okay.
this text, this text offers some significant presence of personalities and some significant presence, uh, absence rather, of personalities. There is absence and presence that claim our attention in these three verses. I want you to notice here that around the cross, the Bible says that there are these Marys. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas. And Mary Magdalene. Around the cross. Mary Magdalene is there. She's there in every gospel account. In Matthew 28 and 1, she's there at the tomb. In Mark 16 and 1, she's there at the tomb. In Luke 24 and 10, she has left the tomb to tell the disciples that she's been there to embalm the body of Jesus along with others for permanent burial. And in John chapter 20, verse 1, she is there at the tomb. She's present when she should have been absent. Because when she showed up, the angel asked her, along with the other women, why are you seeking the living among the dead? You're looking for the right person, but you got the wrong address. He is not here. He's risen as he said. He told you he wasn't going to be here. Why are you here? She was present when she should have been absent. It is a presence of unbelief. And all brothers and sisters, I'm not so sure that just because we show up on Easter Sunday morning that we are believers. What we really need, really, honestly, we need more believers and less Christians. Now, I know what I'm talking about. When I talk about Christians, I'm talking about name only. Uh, I'm talking about individuals who have their names on the road. I'm talking about people who show up for every service. But I'm talking about when a person is really a believer, it's more than an appearance. It's a transformation. It's something that's so deeply embedded in their life that they hear Jesus saying, I'm going to get up on the third day. And if I'm going to get up on the third day, why do I show up at the tomb on the third day when he's not going to be here? Oh, I want you to see that God is not approving of Mary Magdalene because she shows up on Sunday because the first day of the week when she showed up was Sunday morning. And she should have been absent. I want to tell you someone else. There is absence on the part of the brothers of Jesus. And Jesus has at least four. Matthew 13, 55, and 56. Their names are James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, not counting his sisters. And the Bible says in John 7 and 5 that his brothers did not believe in him with the implication not until after the resurrection. 
They didn't believe. All the miracles they saw, they didn't believe. All the teaching they heard, they didn't believe. It must have been hard to be a sibling of the Savior. I mean, how do you have dinner with someone who says to the Father, Abba, and ask Abba to bless the food? It must be difficult to be with a sibling who was always perfect, never bragged, got straight A's, smarter than the teacher. Every time he played uh, a, a game of uh, jacks, he won. Every shot he took went in. He was always, he could even read your mind and ask you, why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Hard to be a sibling of the Savior. And yet, these brothers of Jesus did not believe that Jesus was who he was until after Jesus rose from the dead. That's 33 years in which they did not believe. Please understand that you can see why they're not at the cross. They're not there because they don't believe that anything that will have an eternal consequence in terms of saving the world will take place at the cross. And so they're absent. Some of the most difficult challenges you'll have as a Christian is in mingling and co-mingling with your biological family. They don't believe what you believe. They think what you're doing is crazy. They don't see any significance in it. Giving your money, listening to these sermons, singing and shouting, they see no significance in it. But you've got to get to the place where you understand that there is a bond that's deeper and stronger than a biological bond. It's a redemptive bond. A bond that ties us together because of the blood of Jesus. And Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. Stop getting upset with your family members who don't believe in what you're doing. Jesus was perfect and his own brothers and sisters didn't believe in it. And you're not that. Stop getting upset when they are insensitive to you and they laugh at you and talk about you and put you down. Stop getting upset. Jesus who never sinned. Jesus who is God in the flesh. His own brothers with all of the miracles and everything he did still didn't believe. And salvation and redemption has nothing to do with a biological connection. God has no grandchildren. God has children. Which means this. You don't become a Christian because of who you're born from and you're related to. You just don't. Your dad may have a wonderful medical family insurance plan, which means that if you're a child, then you get the benefits of that medical plan. But God doesn't have a salvific plan. God doesn't save the dad and then save his whole family. You've got to know God for yourself. Mama used to sing a song. I know we don't sing any longer because it's too old-fashioned. Long ago, I didn't know nothing about Jesus and his love. I'd heard about it, but I never felt the matter that comes from above. But in this life of sin, when I could no longer stand, I asked my mother, how do you get to know the man? She said, you must be. Don't you see? You got to be born again. You must have that fire and Holy Ghost, that burning thing that keeps the prayer wheel turning, 
the kind of religion that you cannot see and it makes you move, makes you shout, makes you cry when it's real. I got my hand in the winding chain. My soul's been anchored in my Jesus' name. I'm filled with it. I'm free from sin. I know I've been born again. Some of you are sitting here, and it's a good time to be in church on Easter, but it's not enough. I'm glad you're here, but it's not enough. You've got to know through experience Jesus Christ himself. I'm not just talking about a head knowledge. I'm talking about someone who gets in your heart and changes your way of thinking, changes your destiny, changes your purpose, and changes your life. And you've tried everything, and everything else has failed. And I don't really like that song because if you just try Jesus first, you won't have to try anything else. He's the only one that's going to give you satisfaction. Try wine, try women, try song, try money, and there is still this hole in your life that can never be filled until he gets in it. He made you with a God-sized hole, and nobody can take the place of Jesus Christ himself. And the brothers are not there. Mary is there, and she's there because of her unbelief. And she shows it because she shows up at the tomb on Sunday morning with spices to permanently embalm the body of Jesus. And the brothers of Jesus are not there because they just don't believe. But who's there? Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And who is not there in this instance? I believe that there's one name that is not mentioned in any list. Check it out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of a woman that we would have expected to have been there. Look at this list. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the sister of Mary. And you check every list out, there's one Mary that's not mentioned. Mary of Bethany. She's not mentioned at all. Mary, the sister of Martha. And we expected her to be there because Bethany is just two miles from Jerusalem. I mean, it really wasn't a con an inconvenience, just two miles. She could have walked that. She could have been there. But I think that Mary of Bethany decided there's no sense in me showing up because I already know what he's going to do. My sister and I sent an email to him. And he got it. And this is what it says. The brother that you love, Lazarus, is sick. And you know what he had the nerve to do? He waited two days where he was. And then he showed up four days after the funeral. And then he led us to the cemetery. Bethany, two miles, he lived two miles from Jerusalem. Led us to the Bethany Cemetery. And my sister got very, very nervous about it because she knew he was up to something. Tell the men to roll back the stone. I know they can roll it back because they rolled it to the front of the tomb. Tell him to roll it back. And Martha said, Lord, it's been four days. His body has corrupted. There's putrefaction there. Let me just tell you what, what I'm trying to say, Lord. He stinks. Because Jews 
buried their dead on the first day without embalming, and he's been without formaldehyde for four long days. He stinks. Jesus said to my sister Mary, that's why I asked you, uh, do you know that I am the resurrection and the life? You're talking about you're going to see him in the resurrection. That's a doctrine to you. But the resurrection is not just a doctrine. The resurrection is a personal reality. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If a person believes in me, though that person dies, that person shall live again. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Mary? She said, yes. But now she wants to object to Jesus embarrassing the family. And Jesus said, I told you, if you would believe, you would see the power of God. And then he stooped down, I believe, and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus' name means God is my helper. This man is dead, which means salvation has to take place because of someone outside of yourself. You don't self-generate salvation. Remember what Ephesians 2 and 1 says, we are dead in trespasses and sin. So if we are spiritually dead, we can't believe on our own. We're dead. But Jesus, who is resurrection and life, speaks to a dead man, and the dead man gets up and starts skipping across the beaches of the Bethany Cemetery like a schoolboy on a college campus. And I think that Mary of Bethany is saying, look, no sense of me going to the cemetery. I already knew it. If he could do it with a dead man in four days, he won't have any problem in three days. Getting up from the grave, I'm not showing up. At the cross, I'm not showing up. At the tomb, I'm just going to wait until he comes back and greets at least 500 of us because he was seen, Paul says, by at least 500 witnesses. And I think Mary of Bethany was right there. I think that Mary had seen enough because past experience ought to bring you present confidence. You ought to be able to look back on your life like Mary of Bethany and say, look, I've seen what he can do. I know what he can do. And I can trust him to do just that. I think you ought to be able to look back in your life and when you encounter something that seemingly is unmovable and impossible, that you don't have to paralyze by fear and fall apart and go to pieces because you look back and you see what he's already done. That's why David could fight with great confidence. Goliath said, look, you're sending a little boy to do a man's job. I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said, well, let me tell you what. Uh, my father gave me charge of his flock, and a bear attacked the flock, and God gave me power to kill the bear. And a lion attacked the flock, and God gave me power to kill the lion. And if God could give me power to kill the lion and the bear, he can allow me to take your head off, you uncircumcised Philistine. Some of us are just folding up. Some of us are falling to pieces. Have you forgotten the time when you were voted the most likely not to succeed? Have you forgotten the time when people said your marriage would not work? Have you forgotten the time when the doctor gave you a bad diagnosis and you have outlived that doctor who gave you the bad diagnosis? 
Have you forgotten the time when you didn't have a job for a long time and yet God allowed you to pay your bills better than when you had a job? Have you forgotten the time when people turned their back on you and God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Then why should I feel the scourge? Why should the shadows come? Why should the heart be lonely and long for heaven? If Jesus is my potion, my constant friend is he. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. If you keep on talking to yourself, you say, I sing. Because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 20, we cannot help but speak the things we have seen and heard. And maybe the reason why you don't have much to say is because you haven't seen anything and you haven't heard anything. But if you've seen something and you've heard what God has done, it's really impossible to sit in the pew and look like you've been chewing on concrete. It's really impossible to sit on the pew and look like you've been baptized in vinegar. It's really impossible for you to sit on the pew because you don't want to mess up your chiffon dress. You don't want to mess up your makeup. You don't want to bust the button off of your vest. I tell you, when you think about the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for you, I don't mean just waking you up this morning. I mean that he saved you. I mean he forgave you. I mean he restored you. I mean he built you up. I mean he took you up. You can't help yourself. Mary of Bethany didn't show up. And I believe that she was not there and she's not mentioned in any of the gospel accounts because she saw the cross as being an unnecessary place for, he to, for her to be at because she already knew that the resurrection was going to come. But let's see who really is there and needed to be there. Just one person. Just give me just a few moments. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And she's there to work out her theology, her understanding of the plan of God. She's there, she's looking up at her son, who's 33 years of age. And she remembers that strange annunciation, that strange announcement that the angel Gabriel delivered to her. Mary, you are going to be a mother. Lord, how can I be a mother? I'm a virgin. Mary, you're not only going to be a, uh, a mother before you, you, you you're going to be a mother uh, even after you are, uh, have delivered the child, you're still going to be a virgin. You're going to be a virgin before you get pregnant. You're going to be a virgin after you get pregnant. How can that be, Lord? And it told her, had nothing to do with a man. It's not an anthropological human method. It's a spirit method. The Holy Spirit is going to cause conception in your womb. And the holy child that is going to be born is going to be the son of the Most High God. And Mary, I want you to know something. The child that you give birth to, this child will be for the rising and falling of the nation of Israel. 
And the Bible says that Mary stored these things up in her hearts. She treasured these things and it was like a sword that pierced her own heart. She didn't understand it 33 years prior to this time. She's there to try to work out her theology, work out her understanding of God's providence, of God's superintending of her life. It doesn't make any sense. So she's there to see how it's going to work out because she was with him in birth. She is going to be with him there. She's just like a mother who goes from the birth place to the death place. And there she is looking up at her lords. And Jesus says, and I think that this is a double entendre. What I mean by that is there are two trajectories. That is two angles. One of them is horizontal from humanity to humanity. And one of them is vertical from humanity to divinity and from divinity back to humanity. From man to man, from man to God and God back to man. And look at the horizontal. John listens to these words. As Jesus on the cross says to his wife, to his mother, mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Could this not be the trajectory of humanity to humanity where Jesus is saying, Mary, behold your son, John, and John, behold your mother, Mary. Those of us who are a part of the African-American tradition, black tradition, colored, <laughs> Negro, is, uh, can, uh, you, you're one of those, is that all right? Know for a fact that when we look at our history, there was always this double message, what we call in our music, double entendre, in which the insider got the real message, the Negro, the colored man, the African-American, got the real message, but the outsider didn't. So they would sing songs like, I couldn't hear nobody pray. Way down yonder by myself, couldn't hear nobody pray. What they had done was to go down to the Hush Harbor, some say Brush Harbor, I think it's right, down by the river, and they would take wet sheets and take and tie them around closely planted uh, trees to muffle the sound because they were a part of the invisible institution. They were not supposed to gather because they were a threat as far as a riot or insurrection. And so it was illegal for slaves to gather and pray and sing and shout. And so they did it under subdued voice with the muffling of the sound, hoping that the sound didn't get back to the big house where the master was. And so as they passed the big house, the master's house, the head Negro, I can't say more than that. The head Negro would assure them that it was all right. And they'd say, couldn't hear nobody pray. Way down yonder by myself, I couldn't hear nobody pray. What it was saying is when the white master heard it, he just thought that they would just sing it to themselves, praying to themselves. But the real message was, y'all can relax. They didn't hear you pray. They didn't hear you shout. They didn't hear your worship. It was a double entendre. Sometimes they would sing, swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what does see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. 
coming for to carry me home. The white master was just thinking about Elijah, that old song where the angels would come after Elijah and God sent a chariot of fire that was pulled by horses of fire with rings of fire to take Elijah so that he would outfly death. They just thought it was just a nice biblical narrative. That was the outside message. But the insiders, the black folk understood that there was a greater message that the angels that was coming after them were people of the underground railroads. Not just taking them over Jordan, but taking them up north into Ohio and Michigan and eventually into Canada. That was a double trajectory. And here, there was a double trajectory here because Jesus is saying to Mary, behold your son, John, and John, behold your mother, Mary. What this suggests is, number one, that Jesus is redefining family. Mary, behold your son, John. John is not biologically related to Mary, but both of them are in the kingdom. And Jesus stops in Matthew 13, 55 and 56 when he hears that there's a report that his mother and his brothers and sisters are calling for him. Oh yes, there is, there is James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters. He says, who is my mother? Who, who are my brothers and sisters? He says, those that do the will of my father, they represent my mother, my sisters, and my brothers. He doesn't say anything about his father because Joseph is dead, but really doesn't say anything about his father because Joseph was not his daddy. Joseph was his guardian and had nothing to do with his birth. You and I have got to come to understand that God will give you people who are not biologically related to you that are much more closer to you than your brother your sister, sometimes your mom and your daddy is going to be. And you are sometimes brokenhearted because there's an estrangement. There's a division between you and somebody in your family, biologically related. But just keep on trusting the Lord. I'm not talking about replacing. I'm talking about somebody that God will bring into your life that will be so close to you that there is nothing they wouldn't do for you. They'd even go to the end of risking their life for you. And so what you've got to do is shed your tears when some family member has broken your heart and then stand up and watch God bring other folk in your life to lift you up, to bless you, to take you through. Mary, that's your son. John, that's your mother. It's a financial responsibility. John, I'm getting ready to check out of here. But in the Old Testament, it was the responsibility of the children to take care of their parents. They represented Prudential. They represented New York Life Insurance. They represented all states. One of the great things that I'm grateful for is able to talk about the contribution that mothers have made in all of our lives. Not just mother. I'm talking about whether they are biologically related because there are a lot of mothers who've never had a child that have poured into their lives. I, I dare not mention them, but I must mention them. I'm grateful because Moses would not have survived had it not been for women. 
His mother Jochebed held him for three months, hid him because he was supposed to be a victim of genocide. That is, he was supposed to be, supposed to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. But uh, the midwives kept him. And then when he has been put by his mother in a, a waterproof basket and floated down the Nile River, you know what Jochebed, the mother, was saying? I have done all I can do for you, Moses. I've taken you as far as I can go. You're too big now because you're going to be making noise and the uh, policemen in this area are going to discover you and they're going to kill you. So all I can do is put you in the hand of God. I'm going to put you in this waterproof vessel and it floated down. God kept the crocodiles of the Nile River away. And here out of all people, here is the Pharaoh's daughter who's given the edict to destroy all male Hebrews. And she sees this child and has compassion on this child and says this must be one of the Hebrew children. And she drew him out of the water and, and named him Moses because that's what Moses means. Drawn out of the water. And she said, look, I need somebody uh, to babysit for. And um, that just happened to be Miriam. It's really not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's not incidental. It's really providential who just happened to be watching that. And uh, she looked at us and said, look, uh, I need a, a Hebrew woman to take care of this baby, to nurse this baby, to train this baby, to, the, to, to uh, potty train this baby, all this. And uh, Miriam said, who was the sister of Moses, I, I know just the one. Uh, there's a woman, her, her name is Jochebed. And um, if you get her, she'll, she'll do a good job raising them up. Pharaoh turned Moses over to Jochebed, who happened to be the mother. And Jochebed got paid for babysitting her own child. And some of you, I know you've had difficult times, but God will pay your wages for responsibly. Oh, I know they may depart from the way, but that doesn't cut off your salary. If you train your children in the way that they will go, and they want to leave that way, God still blesses you for your training. And now, Jochebed teaches Moses how to act now that he's living in Pharaoh's house. Don't forget that you're Hebrew. Even though you're living in Pharaoh's house, remember your people, even though you're living in Pharaoh's house, even though you're going to the best schools, you're eating the best food, don't forget who you are. I want to say this to young people, please understand this, I'm not a racist at all. But you better come to understand that no matter how well you're accepted by people of the lighter hue, never forget the fact that you're black. Because if you forget it, they're going to remind you. Oh, I'm not a racist, but understand who you are. God made you black not to be better. Nobody's any better. But God made you who you are. And therefore, you need to be a Christian who just happens to be black. Don't be a black Christian. Be a Christian black. Because your Christianity must inform your blackness. And here is Zipporah in the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus. Moses has not circumcised his firstborn child. In the fourth chapter of Exodus, verses 24 to 26. And because God is going to use him and lead him, to have all the people that he will lead in the wilderness to have their boys circumcised. He hadn't done it himself, and God is saying, if you can't do what you're supposed to do as a leader, how do you expect the people 
to do it. So God gets ready, the Bible says, to kill Moses, and here's another woman who comes right into her life, his life. Her name is Zippor, that's the wife of Moses. And she takes a flip and cuts off the foreskin of the son, and God backs off because God was getting ready to kill Moses. I can't tell you, as I look at my own life, thank God for the mothers. I thank God for my mama. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for people like Mary Alice Boyd. I thank God for the mother Hattie Willis's and the mother Hattie Blair's. I could go on, but uh, I had to say those names because I really wouldn't be here had it not been for those women. And you wouldn't be where you are had it not been for women whose shoulders you are standing on, who sacrificed for you. Thank God for them. And here, brothers and sisters, is Mary. And Jesus says, Mary, look at John. John, look at Mary. Take care of your mother. I listened and I talked to all six of the Phillips children, every one of them. Uh -huh. Valerie, Karen, Gloria, Greg, Frankie, and Roy. On yesterday, spent time crying because Sister Phillips, I've known for nearly 49 years, faithful. Every one of those children, while she was living in the house of the granddaughter, Stephanie, took turns around the clock making sure mama was not alone. And I'm, I'm appalled at what has happened to us. We've become so fragmented. Now mama is in the way. She's old and she's in our, in our way. She's slow and we don't have time to call. We don't have time to visit. We don't have time to love on her. We don't have time to reach in our pocket. Uh, because there's always some other financial need. And therefore, we wait to the funeral, and then we got all these notes to write, uh, to put in the bulletin that she can't read. And we want to pull her out of the casket. We want to upset the funeral. And you got all this time to take care. Why don't you just take care of your mama? You only got one mama. Love on your mama. Be good to your mama. Don't let your mama sit there all day long. All week long, and you don't have one moment to make a call to her because you're just too busy. Son, behold your mother. That's just one trajectory from one human, Mary to John, another human, and from John, a human, back to Mary. But there is this divine trajectory. It is from humanity to divinity, from dust to deity, from a human being to God, the Son himself. So that Jesus is saying, Mary, behold your son. Look at me. 33 years ago, you looked at me, and there I was helpless. You had to change my diapers. Mary, you had to breastfeed me. Mary, I was weak. I was helpless. I know I held the whole world in my hand as God, but as a son, uh, I needed to learn how to walk. You taught me that. But behold your son. See him now. Because Mary is trying to work out her theology and understand this stuff she's been hearing for 33 years, that you have to store these things in your heart, treasure them in your heart, and ponder them and see what they mean because a sword is going to be thrust in your own very soul. 
And when she saw that sword, that spear, go in his side and pushed up to his periocardiograph, that sack that contains water, and blood and water came out. It reminded her of the time when her water broke, when she gave birth, and it was a mess because you can't have a Messiah without mess. You can't spell Messiah without mess. It's M-E-S-S-I-A-H. And Jesus was born just like you. May I want you to see that's when the pericardiogram was, cardiogram was, how do you say it, baby? There you go, whatever she said. <laughs> that's right, see. When it was pierced and water and blood came out, Mary's coming to understand that it would take 33 years for that same thing to take place when the heart of Jesus was punctured. She treasured these things. Life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish theologian, said, you live life going toward life. You understand life looking back at what you've experienced. You just do. Because there are things that you will experience and you won't understand until 5, 10, 15 years later. Makes absolutely no sense. But if you keep on walking with the Lord, you'll understand that there were some situations that you thought you needed to be in. And God said, no. I know you wanted the Denzel, but God said, no, you can't have Denzel. Denzel is cute. Denzel is handsome, but Denzel will go upside your head. You don't need Denzel. What you need is not very handsome, and he doesn't have a, a lot of strong muscles. You need Jimmy Dynamite Walker. That's who you need. I, I know uh, that he won't win the most handsome uh, male award in the world, but he knows how to work. He's going to come home. He's going to bring milk for the baby. He's going to pay your rent. He's going to love you and take care of the family. You don't need Denzel. You need uh, Jimmy Walker. I, I know you won't. Halle Berry, I know you think Halle is a prefix to hallelujah. That's what you think. But uh, you don't need Halle. Halle's fine. What you need is uh, she's not very cute. I know that. Uh, you need uh, Whoopi Goldberg. That's who you need. I I know she's not the most attractive, but she's going to make a good mother for you. And she's going to make a good wife for you. And when you get to the place where you can't walk and you have to be put in a wheelchair, she'll wheel you down the aisle when you can't even clean yourself. She'll take and bathe you. She will take and feed you. And she'll be right there. Because when the figure has shipped out and the shape is no longer there, it's not Halle. You need Whippy Goldberg. And what God does is veto a lot of things in our lives. I'm so glad for some unanswered prayers. I'm so glad that God has said no to a lot of my requests. And you ought to be glad that God's closed the door on so many things in your life. And Mary is getting ready to work out her theology and begin to understand this is what Gabriel was talking about 33 years ago. And then Jesus said, not only behold your son, Mary, but son, Jesus, behold your mother. Mary, you looked up at me when I was on your lap. Now I'm looking down at you, not as your son, but as your Savior. 
I'm your Lord now. Mary, I want you to see that the relationship has changed now. You are an individual who's looking up at me and I look helpless like I was when you gave birth to me. But I really have all the power. I could call 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels, and tear this place apart. But I'm going to die. And I know what they keep telling me. Jesus, why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself and us? But I'm going to stay up here because if I come down, you can't go up. If I don't die, you can't live. If I, who am rich, stay rich, then you who are poor can't be rich. And therefore, I'm going to stay where I am. Son, behold your mother. Well, Mary sees Jesus taken down from the cross. And she knows that he's going to put in Joseph, be put in Joseph Arimathea's brand new tomb. I believe she goes there. And uh, she knows, according to her faith, that's why she doesn't show up at the tomb, that he's going to rise. I'm talking about the mother of Jesus. Rise from the grave. And what Jesus does is to say to Mary, Mary, behold your son. Because the next time you see him, he's going to be seen with power and glory. When I read Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible says that there were 120 people gathered in the upper room. And the only one of the women who is mentioned is Mary, the mother of Jesus. I find it interesting that none of the other women are mentioned. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned because even though she gave birth to Jesus, Jesus will give birth to her. Even though she shed blood at uh, the birth of Jesus, Jesus will have shed blood in order that she might have life. And uh, even though she is a woman who looks Jesus, because she gives birth to him even uh, as a baby. He will give birth to her as a newborn child of God. For she takes and looks to him and goes to the upper room and stays there for ten long days until the Spirit of God falls down from on high. Oh, yeah. Here is a woman who's given birth to Jesus, and yet she's got to be born again. You would have thought that the Lord would have exempted her from being born again. You gave birth to the Son. You don't need the new birth. You can sit this one out. But Mary needed to be born again. And I come to tell every one of you, you got to be born again. I'm not talking about going back into your mother's womb like Nicodemus. But I'm talking about when the Spirit of God takes and convicts you of sin and causes you to repent of your sin and ask the blood of Jesus to fall down on your life. You experience the brand new birth. Mary got born again on the 